Well, before we start, let's pray together. Almighty God, our kind and good Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have. We pray that throughout this whole day we would have been learning how to be more conformed to the image of Christ, that we would be worthy and more worthy of this calling you've called us to as Christians. So we pray in this hour, too, we pray for your your mercy upon us. We pray that uh, you would visit us, that we would learn to love you with our minds, and, and that in this subject of conflict we might see peace and reconciliation and uh, very much a picture of the relationship that our triune God has, that we might carry that to people that need it and may even... Uh, take it to heart for ourselves, and so we pray that your Spirit would would work in us and imprint the Scriptures on our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you all know, because uh, uh, we've all lived in this world a little bit, conflict comes. And sometimes it's very distressing, depending on who it comes from, a close family member, um, somebody at church, a Christian brother or sister. So we're going to look at those things. Uh, uh, John tells us in Second John that we are to love one another. And Christ said that very same thing in the book of John. We're to love one another. So that's where we're headed with all of this today. There's... There's a couple passages of scripture we'll look at. Matthew 18 talks about what do we do when people sin against us. Matthew 5 talks about what do we do when we become aware, the the spirit prompts us in our heart that we've sinned against someone else. So what do we do to resolve that? So both of those require talking to people, and we're going to go through how to do some of that today. And for purposes of our, our time together, we're going to assume that all of us in here, we're the offended ones. We're the ones that have had someone else offend us. And just for a minute, later on, we're going to talk about what do we do if, if, if we have sinned against someone. But for the broad purpose of today, we're going to be the victims. And that's a, a loaded word, but we're the offended ones. So if we look, turn to James chapter 4, we'll start there. And James is writing his book, and in James 1 he says he's, he's writing this to the tribes that are scattered abroad. So in James 4, verse 1, he says this, Where do wars and fightings come from among you? Don't they come from here, even of your lusts that war in your members? So he's talking to who? Well, he starts the book saying he's talking to Christians. And here in this verse he says, he's talking among you, among Christians. He says, what's the source of these fightings and wars and conflicts that you have? And he uses very um, strong language there. He is talking about fightings, wars, conflicts, troubles. He's talking that that comes to the people of God. So where does it come from? He says, well, all of this conflict, um, King James here says lust, some of your other translations will say uh, pleasures or something like that. And uh, so right away we're led to think, well, what is he talking about? He's talking about 
members and physical things in our flesh and our body. And um, he is talking about that, but it's a much bigger picture. Uh, he's talking about pleasures. He's talking about anything that um, uh, impresses upon us how we look at the world, our worldview. Uh, and Jay Adams uh, makes that clear. He says that the tendency for pleasure-seeking may become so habituated that we calculate every decision and move in light of this objective. So he's talking about something more than just pleasures. He's talking about how do you look at the world? What habits do you have? So he says that we're waging war, and he tells us... Um, in First Timothy, Paul writes, to fight the good war, fight the good fight. So there's this language of a battle going on. We've all felt that internally with various things. Um, Paul writes in Romans 7 that there is this war in our members, in my, in my, inside me, that is seeking to bring me into captivity to those laws. So we've got this internal battle. But then sometimes that internal battle spills out. So if we think of some of those other pleasures that we might um, look at the world through that lens, we can think of an alcoholic or a drug addict. If they get their fix, oh, okay, life is okay for them. And we've all read in the paper those stories about drug addicts do anything to get money for that next dose of drugs that they need. Well, that doesn't happen so often in the Christian realm, but what are some of our habituated responses? How about greed? There are greedy Christian businessmen, unfortunately. How about people that are controllers? Have you ever seen those in a church anywhere? You know, we all have that, that old proverb of church fights starting over the color of the carpeting uh, and I'm sure that's true and it's so serious though well okay you wouldn't be a controller would you <laughs> so yeah so we we look at the world through various lenses and if we are looking at it through those sorts of things that colors all sorts of things we do. Then James 3 talks about another member of the body. And he says, uh, the tongue is little, but it causes a lot of problems. It's like the rudder on the ship. So what's the member that gets us in trouble most of the time? It's our tongue, isn't it? Yeah. And this is nothing new that there's been conflicts, even among Christians. Um, all throughout the Bible, we have a record of some of those conflicts. Genesis 17, we see uh, this discussion between Lot and Abraham. And you remember the story. The land just wasn't big enough for them. And, th and that was uh, a probably a legitimate concern. They, Abraham was very wealthy. They had tons of flocks and sheep and but conflict broke out between the uh, the cowboys hired by Lot and Abraham and they they had to resolve it and who resolved it Abraham said you pick whatever whatever you don't want I'll take what did Lot do he he demonstrated a little greed didn't he he said well that land over there looks pretty nice and got a lot of water and oh I see some cities there that might be nice to visit those and well we know how 
that ended up for him didn't didn't end up real well. He uh, probably one of the the hardest things that I still can't understand is Peter calls Lot just and righteous. Now, is it in the scriptures? Yes. Do we have to believe it? Yes. Do I have a hard time attaching the words just and righteous to Lot? Yes, I do. Maybe we'll find out in heaven, but uh, we get to Acts 15, and there was a big outcry between the Jews and the Gentile Christians. They had the Jerusalem Council, where they actually had to call everybody together and get the apostles together and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to sort out this conflict. Um, Peter and Paul had a conflict. Peter was reverting back to Judaism a little bit. Paul had to publicly uh, rebuke him. Uh, and then we see in in later writings in the New Testament, Yodius and Syntyche, Demas, Diotrephes, these were all people in the church, and they all had conflicts. And we've touched on it a little bit, but there's some reasons and some human reasons some of these conflicts occur. Um, people today, uh, if you can think through an average day in your life, the first thing that happens is the alarm clock tells us what to do. So we get up. We go to work and the boss tells us what to do. And then at 12 o'clock the bell rings and the bell tells us to go eat lunch. And at 12.30 it says come back from lunch. So all of life, all of our life is controlled by all sorts of people. The alarm clock, the boss, maybe your spouse, the Internal Revenue Service. Maybe you say the devil is controlled. There's all sorts of things that are possibilities of why we get controlled. So, and then people in our world today, there's no avenue for most people to be heard, is there? We, we can't give voice to our concerns and our frustrations. And so where does all that kind of funnel down into? Well, for Christians, it comes to the church. And the church is one place where finally somebody may be able to voice something. They may be heard. They, uh, you know, most churches we run on, you know, volunteers to do most nearly everything. And uh, they think, oh, finally, now I can exert some, some influence and I'll be heard. And so that's kind of where we end up with all of this kind of stuff coming to a head. And uh, there's other examples of beliefs that lead to conflict. Some of those are, are theological issues. Uh, hopefully that, that doesn't happen very often, but um, Tim Challies calls these conflicts of righteousness. Um, something apart from basic doctrine of the faith, people have different understandings of how the faith is to work itself out. And so... Paul had that uh, had to answer that question when he talked about eating meat sacrificed to idols. Some people had a problem with that; others didn't. Those were a conflict of righteousness. Today, it might be something like um, the use of alcohol among Christians, or public school, or homeschool, and sometimes. Homeschoolers can be pretty 
vocal about public school and vice versa, the other way around, both. So we, we kind of attach a great deal of significance to these things. And uh, so Paul talked about those using the language of weak and strong. And he says, really, that's, we, we don't need to attach that kind of significance to these things that aren't theologically clear. Let's just accept one another. Let's just love one another. And that was the uh, how he left it. Refuse to pass judgment. Someone may be weak. Someone may be strong. I had a pastor once turn to me uh, after worship one day. He was talking somewhat about this. And he said, you know, that brother that you're sitting next to, and he had nobody in mind. He was just talking in general. He said, they may just drive you nuts with their mannerisms. But he said, after worship, what do you do? You say, well, brother, how, did, how was worship? Did you learn anything from the scriptures today? Did, did, did something speak to you? Did, you? did somehow God minister in your life? And so that's, that's a good advice. And Paul uses that. There's other things that might be uh, uh, causing conflict. Hobby horses or conflicts of difference. And Paul and Barnabas had one of these, if you'll remember. They had a disagreement over Mark. Paul said, I'm not, I don't want to travel with him. I don't think he's very useful. Barnabas said, no, I see, I see something in him. So they, they parted company over that. And uh, was it sinful? No, we don't have any record of it anywhere it was sinful. It was just one of those those hobby horse things. So we have to guard our views on that kind of stuff. And some current examples, uh, just a few months ago, I had a discussion with a brother about church planting. He firmly believed that we should church plant in rural areas of, of the state or country, whatever. And I said, I'm fine with that, but small churches usually don't have resources, you know, for planting in there. It takes a big church with resources that can funnel money. So we have this, this friendly conversation, and it was friendly, but he and I had a difference about that. Maybe evangelism methods, you know, maybe somebody, you, you get uh, the evangelism explosion, people saying the Romans Road is no good, or, you know, the other way, or whatever you're used to. Um, how about eschatological views? Get a premillennial and a postmillennial in the same room, and that's like matter and antimatter, isn't it? But down through the ages, the church has never made any of these things a basis for membership or fellowship or anything. We can all believe differently. Now, if someone says Jesus is not coming back, that's a, that's a real theological problem. But if someone says, well, I think it's soon, and another person says, well, I think it's a little later, that's, that's not a big problem. We can unite in faith in those sorts of things. Well, you have on your desk there a, uh, a slippery slope chart. Ken Sandy of the Peacemaker Ministries came up with this years ago. And this is helpful in, in figuring out some of our responses. So you see at the top, in that tan-colored part, he's got peacemaking responses. And the idea is if you stay on top of this graph in that tan area, you won't fall off. If you get to the edges, you're going to fall off. So today we're going to look at overlooking, 
reconciliation, and accountability. Now those three in the middle, negotiation, mediation, arbitration, those are kind of specific things where in, as part of the Matthew 18 process you can take advantage of those. On the left side in the blue you've got escape responses, suicide, flight, denial, and you've got attack responses on the other side. And John talks in his epistles about this and uh, he says if you hate your brother it's the same as murder. So he's drawing uh, a connection there. So if we look on the right about murder, uh, very few of us are going to murder a brother or sister over an issue. But we might, can I say, we might hate them. We, you know, that, that might come about, come about. And on the left side, most of us aren't going to commit suicide. But are we going to uh, remove ourselves from something? Maybe, maybe. So this is a handy little chart. Um, they do have a couple copies of Ken Sandy's Peacemaker book out on the book table if you'd like that. It gives you a full treatment of all of this. So let's start with an example. A church calls me a while ago and says, we need you to help us. We have a member we're having a problem with. This was over a... Um, an item that would be a little mix of theology and a lot mix of tradition. It says this, this husband and father disagreed with something the elders did. He thought it was wrong. He came to us. We all talked about it and said, no, we're going to stick with our decision. So um, this fellow wasn't satisfied with that. And he, so he started making it public, how he was dissatisfied and you know that sort of thing. So they called me up and said, can you come help us? Well, okay. Um, I said, I'll give you six weeks. Because it, it was about a, a five hour drive there and back. So I said, I'll come six weeks. And uh, sat down with this, the husband and his wife. And we went through, we had to go through a lot of basic Christian discipleship and that sort of thing. And finally we we, uh, we got to the point where I said, well, I think we're ready to have a meeting with all of us. Now, in these sessions, the husband said, one of the elders came to us and said he would like to counsel us through this, these problems we're having. Uh, turns out this elder had no training, either formally or informally, in counseling. Hadn't read any books on counseling, but he was going to counsel them. His advice to the couple was this, I think you ought to go to another church. Now, which of those responses on the slippery slope card is, is an elder saying to a, a member, I think you ought to go to another church? Peace baking. What is it? Peace baking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's. I'm going by the peace baking, though, yeah. Okay, well, now, on the standpoint of, of the person, it, it could be flight, right? But the elder saying, we want you to go somewhere else. I'm thinking that's murder. Oh, I see what you're saying. The elder is saying, we'd like you to be gone. Now, the, the ultimate way to be gone is, is to murder somebody. But he said, we'd like you to be gone. Okay. So, 
Well, that's similar then if, if this whole thing went through the whole process of taking out your own log, bringing another to the party to discuss this beforehand, and then you bring it up to the church to do that, that's so biblically correct. You're right. That's the right way to do it, is to go through the Matthew 18 process. So uh, there were um, there were 11 elders at this church, huge church. Um, there were nine of them in the room. And these this, these two people, I said, well, I'd like to meet with the elders for an hour by, alone. And then another couple come. And all I knew was one elder said, I think you ought to leave. That's all I knew. I was hoping that that elder was in the room. Because when I met for him for an hour, you know, I, I went through this chart. And, uh, you know, you pray, you pray and pray and pray that people, the spirit will touch people, they'll respond. And the elder in the corner said, well, that was me. And I want to tell you, when, when the couple comes here, I'm going to ask them to forgive me. Well, then I knew, I said, oh, this is not me. This is not me doing this. This is the work of God. So the couple comes in. Three and a half hours we, we talked. This uh, just got it all out. And uh, that elder said at one point, please forgive me. I gave you the wrong advice. Another elder said, please forgive me. So of the nine in that room, seven of those elders asked this husband to forgive him. So then I knew we were really something. Finally, after three and a half hours, they said, we need a break. And one of these elders, big, robust fellow, hands, you know, one hand was like that. He goes up to this, this husband, and he, he takes his face in his hands, and he says, brother, I love you. And I don't want you to leave. And, and let's, let's work this out. So, I mean, this is like a, a husband might, you know, embrace his wife's face. So, can God do great things? He can. And he inhabits this chart because it's purely Matthew 18. So, we've had some bad things happen to us, maybe. Why is this? That husband and that couple could say, why is this happening to me? Well, there's sin, there's consequences of sin, but there's also the third um, reason, and that's so God can show his glory to everybody involved and to the world. So we ask the question, why is this happening to me? And how is God going to show his glory to me? Now right away when something bad happens to us, that's, that's not where we want to go usually. We want to focus on the other person. So God is helping you in this situation because he has sovereignly brought this into your life. This is not an accident, chance, luck, happenstance, anything. God decreed that he wanted this to happen for some reason. And in this process, Jesus is wiping off the spots and blemishes of your life. Now, I can look at crises that I've had and said, you know, if that hadn't woke me up, uh, it might have been different. So Jesus comes and 
in Ephesians 5, it says he, he does that to his church, his bride. He wipes off those spots and blemishes. And sometimes he gets to some of those spots and we go, Oh, Lord, that one really hurts. You know, that, that stings there. Be a little gentle there. And uh, so he'll keep working. He brings these things into our lives. You'll learn to love people that are unlovable, as we're going to see in Mark chapter 5 in a minute. And you will become Mark in your church. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul said that Mark was profitable for the ministry. Now there's some debate whether that Mark was the same one that Paul and Barnabas had the difference over. Um, but whatever, you can be that Mark. You can be the peacemaker in your church. Then we ask the question, so God is helping me, but how is God using me to help the other person? Well, the, the great news is he is using you to help the other person. You may help this other person see his sin and repent. Hebrews 10 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We don't want that for anybody. And if you can be the means to go to someone and save them from some judgment, then that should be uh, you know, repayment enough for the for the pain we felt. And it may be even that this person isn't a believer. We, do, we don't know about all of our Christian brothers and sisters. We hope they are. We believe they are. Love hopes all things and believes all things, but it may very well be what God has chosen to save them. You help him grow in sanctification, and depending on what's involved, you may help his family as well. If if a, a husband has a problem, has a controller issue with anger, and you help him repent and get control of his anger, are you helping his wife and his children? Probably, because that anger comes out at home a lot easier than it comes out at church. So the first thing we have to do to resolve conflict between Christians is uh, we have to build 1 Peter 1.22 into our life. And that says this, seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit to unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And that's where we start. And that should be the goal of every church, that all Christians in that church should love one another with a pure heart fervently. And we love one another with a pure heart. We don't love someone because they're important. We can get something from them. They're a leader in the church. They're a leader. We don't love people for that. We love them with a pure heart. Our motives are pure, and we love them fervently. And that's the first step. Um, in Philippians 2, uh, we're told there about Epaphroditus, how Epaphroditus exhausted himself helping Paul because the church didn't do it. So God's people are worth exhausting ourselves for. So the first thing we do is build 1 Peter 1 in our lives. We learn to love each other. And that doesn't happen quickly. If there's a crisis tomorrow, I can't start loving someone tomorrow and have that bear any fruit. We, we've got to love each other. Every Lord's Day, we, we build on that. And then that 
first part of that overlooking uh, process is, is from 1 Peter 4.8, where it says, Above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover the multitude of sins. Well, right away, Peter is telling us we've got to go back to 1 Peter 1. Love covers a multitude of sins. We need to have that fervent love for people. And every counselor is going to have a little different um, requirements for 1 Peter 4.8. But the ones that we all agree on are that um, the offended party gets to make the choice. If someone has, has hurt you, you decide if, if you can let love cover that sin, whatever that sin is. And additionally, we, we have guidelines that we say those, those have to be sins that aren't big. You know, they're, they're the little things that come up. Um, if you've damaged someone's reputation or God's reputation has been damaged or it's been a huge ball up, that's, that's not something for 1 Peter 4.8. That needs to be worked through the other ways. And as we see in, in, the, in the chart, covering a sin is reconciliation. Um, we say, someone did something against me, a brother or sister. I'm going to let love cover that. <clears throat> What's that look like? That means if I see that person in the grocery store, I can visit, we, we, we can talk at church, I'm not hiding from them, there's no ill will. Humans can't forget like God can forget. So we're always going to remember that Joe did something to us, but what we're going to choose to forget is that it caused a break in our relationship. When we think of Joe, we're going to think, there's a brother that I love and care for and I pray for him. I want him to succeed in life and with his family. Uh, so those are the kinds of things for 1 Peter 4.8. I got another call from, uh, from a church way out east, and this was uh, a church had a problem with, with another, uh, with a, a husband of a family, and it blew up. He didn't like some of the elders. They didn't like him for various reasons, and you can, you can code it with all the kind of Christianese you want, but it's, it was a conflict. And they sought outside help, and um, the outside help said, we, ought, we think both sides ought to let 1 Peter 4, 8 rule in this. Just let love cover it. So in this case, the husband said, there were three elders, and he said, when two of you, the three of you are preaching, I'm not coming on that day. So what kind of response was that? Sure. Now Steve, that, it's, right, it's right what you have before. That's peace making. That's flight. I'm going to leave. Yeah. And the response of these outside people to the to the couple was they said we think you ought to go to another church so I don't know why we always think you know, getting rid of people solves things but big mess so they came to me and said does this fit 1 Peter 4.8 and, and they said we want you to write a paper a theological paper that we can give to these other people to show them how this isn't 
1 Peter 4.8. So I did that, and uh, the guy called me back and said, uh, you were pretty fired up in that paper. I said, well, I have no tolerance for, for elders doing things like that. The elders should not be doing that, that kind of behavior. So there were escape and attack responses all built into there. And so it was just a mess. So 1 Peter 4.8 isn't for things like that. It's for, um, I don't have any good example. I thought once that... Differences I, of opinion? What's that? Differences of opinion? Yeah, differences of opinion where maybe maybe you get a little vocal and you're, you're pushing homeschooling and say, well, if you send your kids to public school, that's like sending them to the devil. I mean, that's a little, that's a little overboard, right? And you say, ah, oh, brother, I'm sorry about that. I, I went to someone, I thought I had offended someone by something I said, and it was a, a lighthearted joke. And uh, I learned this is how you forgive people, because it was a, a, a more mature Christian. And I said, brother, I think I've offended you. Would you please forgive me? And he looks at me and says, well, of course I'll forgive you. Just please remind me what I'm forgiving you of, because I don't remember it. <laughs> So I, that's how we ought to forgive people, right? It, it doesn't affect us. So how do we move from a valid use of covering a sin, just, just saying I'm going to cover this in love, to Matthew 18? Well, Jay Adams has a, uh, a wonderful little phrase. We'll turn to Matthew 18. We'll read that in just a minute. And his phrase is this. If it keeps throwing the covers off, you've got to reconcile with that person. There might not be a so that's reconciliation. What's that? Reconciliation of the two-way street. And if the other party is not willing to reconcile, you really can't follow through with that. Well, we're going to, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. We're going to start there. We're going to start with the Matthew 18 process. And that's in verse, um, Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Verse 16 says, if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more that witnesses may be established. And if he neglects to hear them, tell it to the church. So, uh, we have to be careful. We don't want to fall prey now to uh, escape responses when this becomes hard. So we go to the person alone by ourselves and we say, we've got to talk about something. And that's the, that's the one thing that gets violated in Matthew 18 all the time in churches, is going to the person alone. I was sitting at my desk one day. I got a phone call. It's the pastor of the church we went to. And he says this, so-and-so has a problem with something your wife did. Now, I asked my wife if I could say this, and she said yes. Um, this fellow has a problem with something your wife did. And, and I asked the pastor, I said, well, why did he come to you? Well, he came to me for wisdom. Well, doesn't that sound, uh, you know, like the Christian thing to do? And I said, well, we've got a problem now because this person should have gone to my wife. Now there's, there's two of us in the middle that should not, not even know this 
this occurred. And the reason is, what if you go to a person and they're, they're overcome with their sin, the Spirit has been working on their heart, and they, they repent and they confess it. Well, that's what you want. But, and, and only two people in the world know that. So, you have a problem with someone, can you go, let's say, uh, someone at your church. Do you go to the pastor to get advice? Eh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because well, we like to think we can do that. After you've got it individually. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But maybe the thought is, I don't know enough about this. But when I when I deal with with our pastor, I, I have the oversee the finances. So when we get big checks at the end of the year, I tell him, Well, we got a large check today. And he'll say, what's he always say? What do you know that he always says? What's the next thing? I don't want to know. From who? Yeah. Right? I said, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. And the first time I said that, he said, what do, you, what do you mean you're not going to tell me? I said, well, when you're preaching, I don't want you looking out and seeing Fred there with a sour look on his face, and you think... He gave us a lot of money, and I just said something that bothered him. I better back off. I said, when you're preaching, I want, I want you to preach. So I don't want the pastor, you know, if the pastor sees me and Joe talking in a corner on Sunday, he's, he can probably put it together. There's a, something going on. So if you need help in Northeast Ohio, it's easy. Call a counselor. There's a bunch of, bunch of them around. We'll, we'll tell you. So, and there's a process, and there's no timetable. If you're in phase one for a while, that's okay. God will work through this. And my, uh, my counselor for, or my supervisor for counseling had me answer a question every session, and it was, how do you test your hunch of fill in the blank? Now, if you go to a person for 10 weeks, and you're talking to them about their sin, and they... They're willing to talk with you, but they kind of you just kind of get a sense they're they're hoping this is going to go away. You know, you might have a hunch there something's something's different. So what if I'm the one at fault? Well, all of this is real simple if if we're at fault, right? It's because God has already worked on our hearts. So that that uh, Matthew five passage where it says if you're you're at the altar giving your gift and you remember that someone has something against you, leave your gift and go reconcile. Well, how easy is, is that? It's, it's going to be really quickly. So do we, do we not go to worship for uh, however many weeks it takes? No. We, we call the brother or sister and we say, I want you to forgive me. And what are they going to say typically? I forgive you. Say, brother, now I know I hurt you, and it, it, uh, maybe there were some financial ramifications. I want to work through this with you. So you do that. And it, if it takes weeks, it takes you know, several weeks, whatever. But you don't stay away from worship, because worship is a bigger overriding uh, issue. And you won't need to, because they're going to forgive you quickly. So uh, one... One church call me, this couple was having marriage issues, and uh, they, were, they were separated. And it, so it was, it was a, a gut-wrenching thing. Uh, the husband was a controller with anger issues. The wife was 
mild and 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 kind of quiet and, and meek and it finally came down to where I said, you know, I, the the wife admitted she was having some some physical issues responding to her husband. And I said, you know, this really isn't something for me. I'm going to find a, a lady counselor for you. And I did that. Well, the the elders step in, and uh, they decide that, that the husband is exactly right and the wife is exactly wrong. And they cast the wife out of the church. And they called me the day before they were going to do this and say, well, we'd like to talk to you about our decision. I said, well, I'm, I can't be there tonight. I, you know, I'm... I'm busy. Well, we're just going to decide to, and I, on the phone, I tried to, I'm like a hired gun that comes in from out of town for a day, you know. I tried and tried and tried. They, they wouldn't listen to me. And so they cast her out of the church, I think wrongfully. Now, how about that poor woman? What, what does she think? What, she has this incredible hurt. And how does she deal with that? How does she overcome that? And maybe you've all had something that hurt you deeply like that. And where do we get the power to overcome uh, those kinds of things? Well, if we turn to Matthew chapter 5, we have an account there. Uh, very much so of... I think it's Matthew 5. No, it's Mark chapter 5, excuse me. It's a familiar account, the woman with the issue of blood. And we're going to get there in just a second, but how do we get spiritual power to live our lives, um, to forgive people, and just have spiritual power to live as, as Christians ought to live? Well, Guys, if you remember back when you uh, first met your sweetheart, uh, you can remember those days, right? You, you worked hard all day. You, you saw your sweetie at night. Maybe you had dinner together. You talked, even if it got late. You could still go home at midnight and, and get up and go to work the next morning and make it. You'd be tired, but you could survive. And You know, ladies... Your, your sweetheart brings you flowers on that first time he brought you flowers. And, and you could uh, go to any length to make him his favorite meal or dessert or whatever. And so those are heady days. You're learning about each other. You're learning things. And you're saying, oh, I'm discovering what this person likes and how they are in life and all, this, all of that sort of thing. And in our culture, what happens? After a few years or some years, you know everything there is to know about each other, and the excitement's gone, and it just, everything falls apart. Well, what if we had someone that we loved that was so deep and so full of emotion and so perfect that we could never exhaust learning about them? And, of course, you already know who that is. Of course, that's Christ. And uh, that's where we can get the power, is falling in love with Christ. He, uh, this is the person that uh, Isaiah said was wonderful. 
How is Jesus wonderful? He, he, he comes out of the tomb. He's resurrected. What's the first thing he says to tell? He tells Mary. What's the first thing he says? Go and tell my disciples. Or no, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, go and tell my brothers that I'm going to my father and your father, and I'm going to my God and your God. He doesn't call them disciples. He calls them brothers. Now, if it had been me, I would have said, let me tell you about what I just went through for you. Let me tell you about the pain. Let me tell you about the humiliation of the crowd. Let me tell you how the enemy attacked me. But Jesus doesn't do any of that because he's wonderful. He says, go tell my brothers. Yes, my weak, fearful disciples are now my brothers. And in the Song of Solomon, that Shulamite woman says that her, her husband is altogether lovely. She goes, she goes through this big laundry list. His hair is like this. His legs are like iron. His, his, uh, his, his, what else does she say? I forget it all, but it's a long, long list. And then she says, and he's better, ladies of Jerusalem, than any husband any of you have. And Song of Solomon is a typology of Christ. Christ is like that to us. Peter says that Jesus is precious. Over and over and over again, he uses the word precious. And in Mark chapter 5, we have this story of the um, woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years she had this issue of blood. And in Israel at that time, under the law, she was not allowed to leave her house until a week after that issue of blood had ceased. Well, for her, it never ceased. She was unclean for 12 years. She couldn't leave her house. She couldn't talk to anybody. She couldn't go out in the marketplace. Ladies, aren't you glad we're, we have a new covenant and not an old covenant? Because it's so much better. So she hears these stories. Oh, there was this guy with demons in the tombs, and Jesus healed him. There was Peter's mother-in-law, and Jesus healed him. There was this guy they let down through the roof on a bed, and Jesus healed him. And just yesterday, it was the daughter of Jairus. Jesus healed her. So she says, if, if I can just touch his clothes, somehow she knew he was one, that wonderful that she would be healed. So in verse 29 of Mark 5, she does that. She touched his garment, and, and right away the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed. And then Jesus knows this and says, Who touched my clothes? And why is that significant? He had every right to, to call the temple police and have that woman arrested because she had touched him. She wasn't allowed to do that under the law. So what happens? This woman comes up to him, and here it says, In fear and trembling, she fell down before him and told him the truth. Everything that had happened to her. And I, could, I really identify with this woman. Because how many times do, have I gone to, to God and say, 
oh God, it's me again. I, I fell again. I, I failed again. I sinned again. I'm a wretch. And if I were you, God, I would absolutely give up on me. And what does Jesus say? Daughter, son, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. So isn't that a wonderful, lovely, and precious Savior? So as we learn to love him, that's where we get our power from. And he manifested his power in that woman. And he called her a daughter. She, we will probably see her one day. And she can relate even more of this to us. But Jesus was willing to give his power to an unclean woman. And he's willing to give power to you and to me as well. And that's where we get the power to forgive. And that's why when these things happen to us, we can look at it and say, God, use me in the life of this other person. Help me through this pain. I'm, I'm casting my pain and my trouble and my sorrow on you. And he is gracious to take that all on himself and to manifest his great love to us. So the goal for God's people is that we be one. And that's what Christ prayed for us. So conflict, when it comes, is a way to oneness. We work through it, and two people become one. And two people learn to love one another fervently. And two people learn to cover all of those things in love. So even if you have to go through the process, that's still a loving process. And God will use it in someone else's life. Anything you'd like to say? Questions, comments? And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask one of the brothers to close in prayer for us. Because we're, uh, we're all on this pilgrim pathway together, aren't we? But we have a couple minutes for anything uh, you'd like to Well, on this one, how long do you keep working towards reconciliation? Yeah, I, I just touched on that very briefly. My, my view is as long as someone will keep talking to me, I'll keep working with them. Because it may take weeks for someone, you know, for the Spirit to, to work in their lives through the Scriptures. So when you, when you talk to someone, my words are worthless. But the Scripture is where the power of God resides. So uh, if you can, when you, you know, gently, in a way, talk to someone with the Scripture. But eventually... That's why I said when you get this hunch, you know, if you've, if you've raised kids, especially teenagers, you're going to you get a lot of hunches, you know, when uh, you're getting a story. So if someone says, well, I just need to keep working on this for about another year and a half on this phase one, you know, you and me, I say, well, brother, um, we'll give it another, and, and you've got to decide, one, two, three, four weeks. But whatever you say, say, brother, in, in four weeks, I... I've got to come back with, with some witnesses. You know, I, I, we've, we've got to get this moving along. And so that's kind of up to you, but um, uh, we, we can't let it, it, it doesn't do us any good to let that person go unreconciled to God. So um, don't give them years. You know. you run into a situation where you're involved with people from two different churches. They're Christians, they're two different churches. There's no reconciliation. 
uh, where do you get the witnesses from at that point in time? Yeah, well, the witnesses are just people that are there to witness that you're saying this to the brother. They don't have to be witnesses of the act. Well, I'm saying from which church would you draw from, well, the offender or the offended? This is going to sound like a cop-out response, but I'd probably call peacemakers and say, can you send a team here? Uh, to help us through this, because they do that. Um, I don't know what you know what financial arrangements there are, but uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Or you may have to go to somebody at a, a church that's not involved, and, and and getting people to listen to each other like that is is tough. So you've, you've got a you've got a tough uh, tough road to hoe there. But <laughs> all right. One of you brothers, would you please pray? Maybe you could pray for Steve in this situation. and just We don't know enough about it, but you could just pray that God might reveal his glory in, in and through that. Whoever wants to pray, go ahead. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we want to thank you for this time that we can have uh, gathered around uh, these passages of Scripture, Lord, the wisdom that gives us this area of uh, settlement conflict, Lord, you've called us to be peacemakers. And Lord, oftentimes we have to put down our own pride in our uh, own way, Lord, and seek your way, the greater way, uh, in these instances. And even in this situation, Lord, that our brother is uh, involved in, Lord, we just pray you would give him wisdom as the best direction to take, Lord, because... Uh, you tell us that the world is to know that we are believers uh, by our love for one another. And if there's uh, there's no better way to show that than to take the correct steps in solving conflict. And so, Lord, again, we just uh, thank you for this time that we can consider these things. And we just ask for your grace and your power to uh, take the right, right course in these conflicts. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.